agricultural communities in different parts of Taiwan to stop using so much pesticide. In one case, in eastern Taiwan's Hualien County, this was done in part because people kept finding dead bats. And if the bats were dying, the pesticide concentration couldn't have been good for local children. Another community in Kaohsiung, down in the south, decided to cut back in part because of bats, but also because all the bees were dying off and there were no more pollinators. In cases like these, Mr. Xu says, people are often worried about pests coming back. But bats are efficient pest killers, and their return to these areas has helped restore sustainable agriculture and the local environment. Bat houses are also going up all across Taiwan thanks to the association's efforts, and a regular survey in southern Taiwan indicates that bat populations are stable. So as long as trends like these continue, bats will continue to fill Taiwan's night sky. I'm Curious John, and I'll see you again next week. Ladies and gentlemen, here's Shirley Lin with In the Spotlight. Welcome to In the Spotlight. I'm Shirley Lin. So James Fong is from the United States, but he's been in Taiwan seven years. Taiwan is a great manufacturer of a lot of things, but not necessarily really know how to market or brand themselves. That's what James said. And so James has a business doing just that, marketing and branding Taiwanese companies. But last week, he talked extensively about this Giving Tree project. Uh, it's this other project on the side for expats to give to disadvantaged communities like children from orphanages and the elderly. Today, he will begin by talking about his other title, and that is as a filmmaker. After all, that was his reason for coming to Taiwan. You actually grew up studying film, was it? Or I actually grew up, yeah, I, I've been making film since I was um, in high school. Mm-hmm. So, it's um, a very interesting story there. So, I was on my way to become uh, pursuing uh, a career in professional tennis. What? Yeah. So, I was a, te- I was, I was a tennis player. <laughs> we didn't player. talk about this before the interview. Okay. No, we didn't. <laughs> so, I was supposed to be a professional tennis player. Um, so, I started playing tennis when I was 13. And then, by the age of 16 or 17, I was like pretty much, I was 30 in Northern California. Mm-hmm. And I was pursuing, you know, trying to go to play college and all that. Uh, an unfortunate incident happened uh, when my doubles partner slash best friend at the time passed away. Oh. So suddenly passed away. Now I didn't really have the motivation. So I just quit tennis. Uh-huh. You know, it was too painful for me. Yeah. So right after that, I met these new friends and they literally knocked on my door one day and they go, hey, James, you know, would you like to be in a film? I was like, what? What are you guys talking about? They're like, oh, we're in film production and we need some actors and hey, let's film. I was like, all right, cool. <laughs> then I started getting into filmmaking uh-huh. and I was acting and wait, I made... Wait, just like that? I just mean, like that. You were, were you doing some kind of videos, anything on the side? No, nothing. They did, what? Yeah. So that <laughs> definitely filled the void that I had in my life because I stopped playing tennis. And right. tennis was something I spent four or five hours a day, every mm. day for like years pursuing that sport. So when that piece was gone I didn't have much so when this filmmaking thing came it, it was so fun you know it was so enjoyable so I started acting mm-hmm. and also you know I did a 50 minute film for for just for fun uh-huh. and got like literally everybody involved and that became a passion and so basically film 
and acting took over for tennis. And then so I went, I, I actually went to uh, college at UCSD. I even studied a uh, minor in theater. Okay. And then I started acting a lot of films and then and it led it to a career. So I moved to um, China right after college because I had an opportunity to do a, a feature film there. And I acted for a couple of years there and then transitioned into doing filmmaking and directing and writing and directing. And then my first film, uh, we actually, like, I, I was so surprised, but we won a bunch of awards. Just my first film. And then... It, People were like, man, you have a talent in doing this. You should You're the main character? Yeah, I was the main character. Oh. I wrote it, directed, produced oh. it, and acted in it. Like, even did a rap song for it. Like, it was a, it literally did everything. You're uh, multi-talented. Uh, God is good. <laughs> no, I'm just okay. kidding. Um, so, that basically led to my career in directing. Uh-huh. And then I started, and then, you know, like, film school is expensive. You're looking at, like, 200K us to go to a reputable film school and all that and then a couple of years of your life and i don't want to go that route so i did this self-taught route and just went in to directing yeah and directing and then filmmaking in general so i went to the bookstore literally bought out the whole bookstore every book on filmmaking and then started studying it you're one of those people who read books i guess back then weren't there like google or youtubes that teach you those kind of things no actually back then they didn't have youtube tutorials and whatnot okay um, so literally with everything by trial basis and for me it was just you know it's, it's, it's part of the process you, you know you you master your craft by spending you know the hours studying mm-hmm. and executing the things and um so yeah i was like i was holding down like a bunch of different jobs and living at home with my parents to save money so i can use the money to put it on my films mm. and then that's when i you know I, I, I did a couple of films and uh buy equipment yeah buy equipment i bought a camera and back then we, we had tapes so you had to uh-huh. film on the tapes and i did a documentary you know it took us like four or five years to do this documentary on the sport of mixed martial arts and you can imagine how many tapes i had each tape was like only 60 minutes of filming yeah so that was. Were yeah, you that's, into martial arts? Are you into yeah, martial arts? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah, are. Absolutely, yeah. I'm into but martial you, arts. You decided to make a documentary about martial arts yourself. I did. Yeah, mixed martial arts. So this was when the sport, like the UFC, was actually wasn't that big. And I just knew that this would blow up. And I just knew that I wanted to make a film about this because the life of MMA fighter at the time versus the life that I had as an independent filmmaker, I just, there was huge parallels. So I reached out to some famous fighters in the San Francisco area and we connected. I literally just started showing up. Like it was so interesting. The first meeting I showed up at the gym and my guy was like, hey, what's up? I was like, hey, what's up? All right, um, yeah, so we're gonna train now. Um, Yeah, you do whatever you wanna do. All right, cool, sounds good, man. And maybe we can grab lunch after. Yeah, sounds good, cool. And I just started showing up all the time. Uh-huh. with a camera and I just started filming them and getting to know them getting into their lives and then there was a lot of hype uh, because we released a trailer uh-huh. of the actual film and then the fight community really you know I got a lot of views on YouTube and all that and then the film like I said took four to five years to finish uh, was finally done uh, all like self-funded and done with like you know a lot of my friends that didn't really get paid in the beginning like on, on, on deferred pay and it's a very much a passion project and something we're very proud of. Mm-hmm. And when the film actually sold, that's when my friends in Taiwan, uh-huh. you know, they had they knew that I did this film and I had just sold it. And I had also just won a competition. Um, it's called the 72 Hour Shootout. It's a national um, U.S. competition where you make a film in 72 hours. Yeah. And we won. I think we swept the awards, like took the top prize, best editing, best cinematography, everything. And what was the topic about? The topic, uh, the particular film was about the, that, that I wrote was called uh, Distance. Okay. And, I, and I did it with two buddies of mine. We did everything together. Um, What's the distance? It's basically a movie about relationships, 
Okay. Ro- romantic relationships where you know people get to a certain stage about intimacy, and you need to make decisions mm-hmm. about how you whether you want to go forward with the relationship or not. It's about the struggles of making that choice sometimes. You were the director. You weren't in the film. I was in the. Oh, I yeah. also acted because <laughs> it was just the three person crew. We <laughs> shot it in black and white. Oh, so we literally did everything together. Uh huh. Okay. Yeah, and then I yeah, and, and I did act in this one. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I mean, no budget, no nothing. You do it over a weekend, no sleep, kind right. of deal. Seventy two hours. Yeah, but yeah. I think the substance behind the film uh, and what it was about. I think definitely came. was the one the judges over. Right. Yeah. Came so after that film came out, my friends in Taiwan, who are entertainers, you know, uh, musicians, and uh-huh. they said, "Hey, we would love to have you come on board." Yeah. And we already have an apartment for you. We rented like three months ago. I was like, "What? <laughs> who does that?" <laughs> yeah, really. They're very good friends. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, so they flew me over, and I started. You know, I arrived, and we started. Uh, yeah, I started falling in love with Taiwan. And also, my contacts in China on the film side started hitting me up. I flew over there for a job, um, and then the rest is history. I made a decision to come back to Asia full time and move here and set my roots here in Taiwan, so that I could also work in China because it's so close. Yeah. And so now we started doing a lot of international, um, you know, commercials and those things, uh, working with uh, some of the big brands, and that's how my career uh, on the filmmaking side started seven years ago here in Taiwan. Okay. Yeah. So, um, so you're mostly doing commercials and yeah. documentaries. Yeah. Uh huh. So we did a project with the Taiwanese government. Yeah. And on actually, uh, f- to actually basically help the um, help Taiwan attract foreigners to come live here, and it's basically short documentaries, about 13 documentaries, no, 16 documentaries on expats or foreigners that were living here in Taiwan. And it was to promote, you know, how living in Taiwan is awesome. So we focused on, you know, some really cool spots like, you know, cycling in Taiwan. I think I might have seen some of those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, that was something we did that was really cool. Yeah, that was You're listening to In the Spotlight with Shirley Lin. Well, what is exactly that you really like about Taiwan? Can you be more specific? Not to be generic, but that is definitely one of the main things is mm. that, you know, people make you feel pretty warm here. But I just think that Taiwan is a country very open and accepting. And, uh, and I think there's huge potential here because I see the hearts of the Taiwanese people as people that really have a lot, a lot of love to give. And that is in alignment with my life purpose which is to spread the love and kindness and building community that really thrive on that mm-hmm. and really be able to utilize that love and really give it back to the people that need it in this, in this world. And that's kind of, you know, one of my missions in life is to do that. And I feel like Taiwan is a perfect country. And, the, you know, like just the giving tree alone, the fact that we did, you know, the first year, I think it was like 60, second year, um, you know, 450. This year is 1,000. You know, like I just feel that wow, sky's, sky's the limit. And then yeah. we haven't even really tapped into you know, any of the CSR programs from the corporation side. Imagine if that comes into the picture and we have funding and actually have some money mm. to, you know, like really do even bigger things. So, I mean, personally, I would like to do an event every like quarter big event i'm talking about like you know let's say go to the homeless you know in taipei main station throw a block party for them all the food um you know and then one thing we do is also haircuts we do we have a haircut ministry where every three months we go to the soup kitchen provide haircuts for the homeless people there Mm -hmm. so these are all things that really i feel like we're really we can foster such a strong community of giving back and to you know like for the next generation we have a lot of kids that come to our events you know that's kind of like what i would like to do 
uh, on a personal level and what we're trying to accomplish as a group with Salt Collective. So if you're an influencer, don't just influence people and show people on social media the nice clothes that you're wearing, how good you look on social media. Spread some real awareness. Influence people the right way by joining us, you know, at Salt to actually, you know, contribute and give back. What other dreams do you have? What are the plans do you have down the road? Career-wise, I like to grow my company. I feel like there's a huge uh, market here and that hasn't been tapped because, you know, a lot of Taiwanese companies, they're, they're OEM for a lot of the biggest brands in the world because they make some of the best stuff. Now, the problem is that these companies, these manufacturing companies are lacking in the marketing and the digital marketing side to actually create their own brands and sell it on e-commerce. So one thing I would like to do for Taiwan is to bridge that. Mm. And really become, you know, the company the, that can really help a lot of these manufacturing plants get into the Amazons, you know, selling some of their best stuff. One of our clients, some of his products, I can't give away the, give away the name due to, yeah. you know, confidential, but one of our products actually just made the Amazon choice after going on Amazon for like less than two months. So that's something I'm proud of mm -hmm. because we help this company that's been doing OEM for the last 40 years and we know with very low margins help them build a brand literally on Amazon that's selling out. They sold out all their units like the first week. And then now if this at this trajectory, this brand will be known in the US on the e-commerce side and they're going to make a lot of money from it. So that helps Taiwan financially speaking because all the money is going to come back to Taiwan. And um, that's what I like to do is mm -hmm. to help a lot of these companies and uh, to also work together with these companies that actually want to do good also. The main issue I feel... Uh, for a country like Taiwan, why they lack branding and marketing and all that, I, to be honest, is really just about the actual education and experience of it. For me, it's about being exposed to, like, um, you know, Western culture. I grew up in the U.S. So, I mean, as, as, a, as a media guy myself, like, everything I absorbed, you know, I understand exactly what they were trying to do, how they're trying to accomplish it. And then when you study, you know, for myself, like, you know, psychology, and then you start kind of like putting the pieces together, you start realizing like, oh, wow, okay, that's actually what's going on here. Mm -hmm. And I think for a lot of the Taiwanese companies, because, I mean, let's be real, you can't be good at everything. And Taiwan, the main focus, what they're really good at is, you know, producing a lot of engineers. Mm -hmm. And on the production side for manufacturing, um, you know, Taiwan is superb. Like a lot of the companies I work with, like, you know, like uh, this radio company that I have, the Hydro Flask, you know, Sanjin. Mm -hmm. They're the, you know, among the best in the world at, at making radios. And they've been doing this for 45 years. Mm -hmm. So that's their specialty. So how can you tell a company that specializes in manufacturing to be like, hey, so, um, yeah, now let's go do some branding. Uh, it's like it's like a fish out of water yeah. so they have no experience with that no, and, yeah. and also I think a lot of the schools here don't really um, emphasize on marketing because uh -huh. of this you know uh, emphasis heavy emphasis on production mm -hmm. and so when you don't really uh -huh. you know have the kind of training or the kind of schools that really emphasis on marketing and you know like even the, the manpower like, like, like the professors and people that are teaching this stuff who don't have experience in marketing right. how can you how can you improve uh -huh. you can't Okay. So that's where people like me, you know, come in, yeah, where yeah, we have yeah. this background, like, and I'm, I'm like milked in marketing since, you know, since at a very young age, I'm, I'm grew up in social media on Facebook and everything and on Instagram. So I'm very well versed in those areas. Now I can come in and use my professional experience with the American aesthetics. Taiwan needs you, James. <laughs> that's why I'm here. <laughs> I know. Wow. And good luck with Giving Tree. That is such an awesome thing that you're doing. And thank you. Um, this has really been great getting to know you, James. Yeah, and, thank you for uh, having talking me. Talking to you. Yeah. Thank 
Thank you so much. Yeah, more than happy to come back and we do yes. future sessions. A lot All of right. things that we talked before the interview, I know that we want to get deeper <laughs> in that we can do maybe next time. Okay. Thanks, James. Good luck. All right. Thank you. Classic shorts, poems, and stories from Chinese literature. Hello and welcome to Classic Shorts. I am Natalie So. Today we hear poems from the late Tang Dynasty poet Li Sangying. He is known for his imagist qualities in his poetry. His poems are thought to be hard to translate because of their elusive quality, but let's see if we can appreciate them. This first poem is called The Inlaid Harp. I wonder why my inlaid harp has 50 strings, each with its flower-like fret and interval of youth. The sage Zhongzi is daydreaming, bewitched by butterflies. The spring heart of Ember Wong is crying in a cuckoo. Mermen weep their pearly tears down a moon green sea. Blue fields are breathing their jade to the sun. And a moment that ought to have lasted forever has come and gone before I knew. This is Li Songying's poem, The Palace of the Sui Emperor. His palace of purple spring has been taken by mist and cloud as he would have taken all young Zhou to be his private domain. But for the seal of imperial jade being seized by the first Tang emperor, he would have been bounded with his silken sails, the limits of the world. 
Fireflies are gone now, have left the weathered grasses. But still among the weeping willows, crows perch at twilight. If he meets their underground, the later Chen Emperor, do you think that they will mention a song of courtyard flowers? This is Lee Songing's poem in the camp of the sketching brush. Monkeys and birds are still alert for your orders, and winds and clouds eager to shield your fortress. You are master of the brush and a sagacious general, but your emperor, defeated, rode the prison cart. You were abler than even the greatest Zhou statesman. Yet less fortunate than the two Shu generals who were killed in action. And though at your birthplace a temple has been built to you, you never finish singing your song of the holy mountain. Those are the poems of Li Sangying from the late Tang Dynasty. Thanks for tuning in to Classic Shorts. I'm Natalie So. Listening to News Playlist. We've queued up some of the most interesting reports for you, brought to you by Radio Taiwan International. Welcome to News Playlist. I'm Paula Chow, the program host. An intense cold wave has hit Taiwan, bringing snow to high mountains, including some that haven't seen snowfall in years. The cold weather has also brought thousands of motorists up into the mountains in search of rare wintry things. They haven't been disappointed, but authorities are urging caution 
people here are unused to driving in snow. Taiwan's mountains are in the grip of a strong cold snap that has sent temperatures down to the freezing point. This unusual cold has brought with it something else unusual for Taiwan: snowfall. While a few, especially high mountains, get a dusting or two each year, some places that saw snowfall Friday have been snow-free for years. Elan's Taiping Mountain, for instance, saw five centimeters of snowfall in places. The mountain's first snowfall in three years. Taiwanese tourists, used to traveling abroad to see snow, have flocked to mountains like this one. With COVID-19 making international travel impossible, this is their only chance to see snow for now. Over a thousand vehicles traveled up the mountain, carrying eager visitors. Authorities at the scenic area that covers the mountain are urging drivers to put chains on their tires and be careful when driving. These aren't motorists used to driving in true wintry conditions. John Van Trieste, RTI News. And we also have a story about visitors flocking to Hehuan Mountain, awaiting the first snow of the year. At the top of Hehuan Mountain in the central county of Nantou, there's a sense of anticipation in the air. Here, at over 3,000 meters of elevation, a cold snap has pushed the mercury down to just one degree Celsius, with temperatures expected to fall further from Thursday afternoon. There's plenty of moisture in the air too, and meteorologists say that could mean snow. News of the possible snowfall, which would be the first of the year, spread quickly. A parking lot for visitors to the mountain filled up Thursday morning. Some had driven from as far away as Taipei, having set off before daylight. With COVID-19 making travel abroad to more snowy climbs impossible for now, Taiwanese people are taking to their mountains instead for the chance to see rare snow. John Van Trieste, RTI News. Taipei is in the grip of a strong cold snap, with temperatures dropping to the single digits Celsius. Those in the city with pets at home need to take care not just to bundle themselves up. Pets too are susceptible to the cold. Recent cold fronts have caused temperatures in Taipei to drop sharply. It isn't just people feeling the bite. Dogs and cats are actually more susceptible to the cold than humans. That's because their body temperatures are slightly higher than humans to begin with, usually around 38 to 39 degrees Celsius. So when the mercury drops, animals feel the impact more readily. Vets say ways to keep pets warm include using a heater or an electric blanket. Owners can also place warm clothes around their pets to create a comfy little nest. Vets are also giving out some warnings to pet owners. One is to never point a heater directly towards an animal's eyes. Another is to be sure to wrap a towel around warming objects like hand warmers before letting animals use them. Putting an extra layer between a heated object and an animal will keep the animal from getting burns. Shirley Lin, RTI News. This is News Playlist, a weekly rundown of some of the most interesting news reports brought to you by RTI. Watch along on YouTube if you like, or close your eyes and enjoy these stories by way of sound. In line with the tradition, Taiwan's central bank has issued coins featuring the animal sign of the upcoming Lunar New Year. At a press conference on Thursday. The bank unveiled the coins for this year, which is the year of the ox. 
To mark the year of the ox, which begins on February 12, the central bank has issued 100,000 sets of coins featuring the ox. There are two coins in each set: a silver one and a gold and copper one. One set costs 1,800 Taiwan dollars. The silver coin is decorated with two oxen on the front. The hardworking animal is a symbol of perseverance in Taiwanese culture. On the back is a scene of a boy performing a lion dance, a popular piece of folklore from agricultural areas of Kaohsiung in southern Taiwan. The gold and copper coin features a stylized ox on the front. The image represents a turnaround or a change for the better. On the back is the partially colored lily, a flower which symbolizes good fortune. Head of the bank's issuance department, Shi Zhuanghua, says that in the face of the global COVID-19 pandemic, these coins with their auspicious Images will bring good fortune and get rid of the bad. At the start of each year, believers flock to a central Taiwan temple to receive lucky money. Coins distributed for free and meant to attract wealth in the coming year. To the temple director's dismay, however, such is the demand for their lucky money that some have turned to selling it online. While selling these coins may bring a profit, the temple board's head says this behavior amounts to ripping off the god of wealth, and that it misses the entire point of giving lucky money out. On January 1st, a line stretching for four kilometers formed outside Zinan Temple in Jushan, Nantou County. This venerable old temple is known, among other things, for giving out free little coins of its own design. This is considered seed money, money blessed by the god of wealth that will attract further money to the bearer over the following year. Unfortunately, some have decided not to wait for the cash to come in. They've taken to selling the coins online, or in one case, even conducting a live-streamed auction. The temple head says this behavior is essentially the same as tricking the god of wealth. Acting in bad faith like this, he says, negates the whole purpose of giving out the coins in the first place to share the blessings of the wealth god with believers. Entrepreneurial or a crass violation of divine trust? What do you think? John Van Trieste, RTI News. Taipei's Grand Hotel has a long history. But the hundreds of pieces of furniture that houses are growing old, the hotel has decided to give them a new life, with the help of young Taiwanese designers. Taipei's Grand Hotel was built in 1953. Throughout the years, there have been different renovations done on the place, but most recently, it's the hotel's furniture that's attracted the attention of restorers. The hotel has worked with the National Taiwan Craft Research and Development Institute to inject new life into its decades-old wooden furniture. Hundreds of designers submitted proposals for the project, but only 15 of them had their designs chosen. The designs take elements of the hotel into account, such as a design on one of the Chinese-style armchairs that resembles the carved lattice ceiling of the hotel lobby. Another has added leather to transform a wooden chair into a reclining chair, giving it a contemporary look. In addition to giving the hotel interior a fresh look, the hotel management says that the project has also allowed more young designers to gain recognition while letting more people learn about the history and culture of the landmark hotel. Shirley Lin, RTI News. And that's all we have for this week's edition of News Playlist for Radio Taiwan International. I'm Paula Chow.
RTI is conducting a survey. Visit our website to fill out the questionnaire or simply send us your answers to the following four questions. Question number one. What platform do you use to listen to RTI programs? You can write more than one, but list the most frequent one first. Question number two. Which RTI programs are your favorites? Write no more than three programs. Question number three. Out of a total of five stars, how many stars would you give RTI's English broadcasts overall? And question number four. What are your suggestions for RTI's English programs? Everybody who enters will have a chance to win a prize. Send your answers to P.O. Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan, 11199. Or send it via email. Our email address is audience01 at rti.org.tw. That's audience and the numbers 0 and 1 at rti.org.tw. Be sure to leave your name, gender, age, and nationality. Bringing Africa into Taiwan, especially now that people were unable to travel into our African countries to experience the beauty and also to um, continue with the trade and investment that we usually have. So we decided that let's, let's, let's do it um, and bring it here into Taiwan, continue with the interaction. Hello and welcome to this week's On The Line brought to you by Radio Taiwan International. I'm Carlson Wong. Ms. Sibongile Mabasa, the Deputy Representative of Liaison Office of South Africa in Taiwan, said she's been promoting South Africa to the Taiwanese even faced with the pandemic. In December 2020, she held 2020 Day for Africa, working with Somaliland Representative Office in Taiwan and other African countries. In 2019, her office invited a delegation of 40 Satma performers from South Africa to perform in Taiwan. Ms. Mabasa has also been actively engaged in educational exchanges. And to find out more, we're joined today by Ms. Sibongile Mabasa, the Deputy Representative of Liaison Office of South Africa in Taiwan. Ms. Mubasa, you promoted South Africa by holding 2020 Day for Africa, working with Somaliland Representative Office in Taiwan and other African countries. Can you tell us the story behind that or the idea? Okay, the idea behind the, um, we call it the Africa Culture Product Service Day. The idea behind this event is to promote the African culture, uh, through music, performances, artifacts. The product will be our trade and investment as countries just to, cre- to create or enhance a link between Taiwan and the African countries in terms of um, the trade and, inv- and investment. And with product, uh, with services, will be, of course, the service industry such as the tourism, because we know there are a lot of Taiwanese that visit African countries and especially South Africa. So it's it's one of the platform where we promote the tourism industry of South Africa for the Taiwanese to to travel to South Africa. Unfortunately, 2020 is not a year to travel. Mm -hmm. Of course, we all know because of the pandemic. But um, um, as soon as um, uh, the pandemic situation 
situation dies off and the situation resumes to normal and the sky is open, we are hoping that the tourism industry as well will start to boom again because of it has been affected a lot. So the the event basically it's all about bringing Africa into Taiwan especially now that 2020 people were unable to travel into our African countries to experience the beauty and also to um, continue with the trade and investment that we usually have so we decided that let's 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 do it um, and bring it here into Taiwan continue with the interaction regardless of whatever problem that's stopping us from doing it the normal way but we can still continue with the interaction so that was that's the whole idea of having such an event it was a very smart idea especially to hold it actually in Ximanting, um one of the most popular known areas among the young people and you know that's also very important to attract the young people to visit south africa so how did you actually come up with the with the venue as well the okay then the event we co-hosted with ATEF, which is the Africa-Taiwan Economic Forum. Um, it's an organi- organization as well that promotes um, the trade between um, Africa and Taiwan. So because of it's one of their mandates, which they used to have theirs and us as a liaison office of South Africa, we used to have ours. And the idea basically was the same thing. So we decided to come together to say, because of we're doing the same thing and we're inviting same people, even the exhibitors are same people, why are we duplicating? Mm-hmm. So let's uh, put our resources together and our ideas together and plan one event which becomes a big event so that's where we we came together so the the event that the venues usually ATF they uh, look at different venues and propose it to us every year they will give us three possible venues and also give motivation of why this venue so we will sit as the co-host and say okay this is the venue so this year this is uh, it is the same process that three venues were provided and we're like okay we're changing the location it's Shimendin because in previous years we will go to Shanti in Shinyi um, or the Sanyetsun Mem- uh, Memorial, Memorial Area and and also the um, um, where there is triangle um, yes, next to Taipei Expo there's an open uh, space there so we will rotate venues in terms of where we host our, our event so that we at least try to cover different areas in Taipei mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so all these areas actually were quite well chosen because actually uh, Ms. Mabasa earlier just mentioned Shanti in, uh, in Sydney area is, is, is a very well known area in mm-hmm. Taipei city as well now last year the liaison office of South Africa invited Satma to come to Taiwan to perform it was uh, one of the biggest events I think could you tell us the challenges uh, on your part of inviting such a big group to Taiwan to perform. Okay, one one of the challenge, of course, was if the event would be successful, if they would get the audience, and if they themselves will be able to project themselves to Taiwanese because of 
remember these are two different cultures you know the Chinese and the African it's, it's two different but um, as an office because one of our mandate is also to promote cultural diplomacy so we need to make sure that the, the, we, 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 we promote the cultures between the two countries either can be in a, f- a form of a cultural exchange so that we teach our people about the Chinese culture and we also talk to the Taiwanese about the African culture and particularly the South African culture so the challenge was um, how are we going to do this how are we going to execute it and which places will we take them and what performances will they will do so it was uh, it, it took a lot of engagement and to put up a program together and what assisted again on 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 their part was to say okay this is a delegation of about 40 people just performance excluding the technical mm-hmm. stuff and they have various talents. Some, they were doing the a cappella music. Some were doing the traditional dances. Some were doing the traditional singing. And some were doing the artifacts. So they're like, so this is a variety. So we depend on you and your office to get their counterpart in, in Taiwan so that they can showcase what they have. And at the end, possibly they can have uh, some form of uh, exchange or collaboration. So we then liaised with different um, cultural uh, organization and government. We went to Taipei City Government Cultural Department. We also went to New Taipei City Cultural Department. Of course, we contacted various radio stations because there, there was also yeah. a team of radio. Also Radio Taiwan International. Radio, yes, and also Radio Taiwan International was part of the list. So we had to contact all of that, again, knowing that we might be turned down. So it was not easy, but fortunately, 90% of government and organization that we contacted gave us a thumbs up. It was a positive response that, oh, of course, we would like to host the, the, the group that, came, that, that is coming to, 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 to Taiwan. So um, it was the challenge and the, and, the, and the successes as well in terms of planning the, the, the event. So it was a learning curve. You're listening to Underline brought to you by Radio Taiwan International. I'm Carlson Wong. Today I'm speaking with Ms. Sibongkele Mabasa, the Deputy Representative of Liaison Office of South Africa. And it was a very bold move. It was a very <laughs> bold move, yes. Because give, uh, bringing a, a group of 40 people, it's, 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 a, it's a huge group. Yes. And it, sometimes the pro, their program will run pa- parallel. So you have to make sure that if this group is here at this time, the other group must hold. So uh, there were, at the time where they were not at the same place, all of them, even if they wanted always to be together, but it was not possible. So we're like, okay, uh, you will share what you would have seen, but you have to separate at certain point. Mm-hmm. Talking yeah. about cultural diplomacy, this year has been very um, challenging. How do you think COVID-19 has impacted the cultural exchanges between Taiwan and South Africa? Oh yeah, it has in, in, impacted very badly, negatively. Because of after the visit by the Satma last year, of course, they made some contact, some um, um, promise for collaboration. For example, the the a cappella group that we brought, that was part of the delegation, um, they m- managed to meet with the Taiwan group called uh, Okai. Mm-hmm. So the legacy wanted to create to to have um, some collaboration with Okai because they are both a, a cappella uh, group. And again, there was a plan that last year. 
uh, either during Christmas or during Chinese New Year, the Legacy Group comes back to Taiwan to have some um, recording, collaboration recording that can be played during either the Chinese New Year or or, or, or Christmas. So um, if it, 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 it did not take place and then the collaboration was going to run throughout uh, 2020. So because of the pandemic, all of those plans did not take uh, a, a place. place. But the, the the exchange of information is still taking place. The only problem is that the implementation and doing the actual thing, that's the challenge because of the, uh, the can't travel between the two countries. Mm-hmm. So it has posed a lot of challenges in terms of taking forward what we are planned to do between the two countries and the implementation of those plans project so, so it can happen but it does not stop it um, once the, the the situation has subsided then the, um, the the planning will go even further and towards the implementation yeah we just hope that you know in the beginning or in the second half of next year we hope that everything will return to normal yes mm-hmm. yeah we're hoping for that as well because <laughs> we want there's a lot that is um on on our inbox that we need to do but because of this pandemic it has tied our hand on certain things that we we cannot do because certain things cannot be done visually you have to mm-hmm. to be there physically yes. to do them those that can be done visually yes well and good that they have been done but there are certain uh, cultural uh, perform uh, or cultural activities that needs to be done physically which uh, of course they can't take place mm-hmm. and of course education i mean can be done either virtually or in person but we still need i think to be in direct contact with the teacher and exactly. students yes i know that you have also been involved in um, the uh, educational area we also know that taiwan provides a uh, full scholarships of uh, to south african students um, mm. to study mandarin so can you talk about that as well um Yes, the Taiwan government has been, uh, ever since I arrived, they've been saying they are scholarships that are offered for uh, African students. And they also um, contacted our office and say, um, we also want to offer South Africa the scholarship. And at first they said we have 10 slots, but we usually do not um, um, take up all the slots that they give us. So um, they were saying that we, we, we need to um, make an awareness more in South Africa to make sure that the students uh, get to know about the scholarship. And we made that promise that we are going to do that because of uh, uh, in South Africa, education is very important, but the challenge is the resources. We have uh, uh, students that pass their high school, but they can cannot further their uh, studies to university because of um, they, they they don't have the resources. Either they come from a poor background, some of them they don't even uh, get the information. So we took an initiative in the office to. Um, 
do radio um radio interviews especially local radio interviews in South yeah, Africa I heard um one radio interview which I do not understand <laughs> Oh yes we were doing in local uh, yes. uh, languages so we managed to do about five because there are there are 11 languages in South Africa so therefore you get the 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 cultural radio station all of them but we managed to reach out to five so we did um interviews and um talking about the scholarship what the government is offering what it covers and and which field so the the good part is that it it, it covers for all feet any field of study that you want to or you are interested in they cover and that was the first part of our interview with miss sibongile mabasa deputy representative of liaison office of south africa and do join us again next week as she will tell us more about the educational exchanges between Taiwan and South Africa. And that's it for this week's On The Line brought to you by Radio Taiwan International. I'm Carlson Wong. Thank you for listening. I'll see you next week. Have a good bye. Thank you for listening to Radio Taiwan International. Broadcasting from Taipei, Taiwan. Check out our website at english.rti.org.tw. Again, that's english.rti.org.tw. Our 60-minute English program can be heard every day at the following times and frequencies. In southern China and South Asia from 1600 to 1700 UTC on 6185 kHz. In South Asia from 0300 to 0400 UTC on 15320 kHz. Thank you once again for listening to Radio Taiwan International. We'd love to hear from you. Please send your comments to P.O. Box 123-199 Taipei, Taiwan. You can also email us at rti at rti.org.tw.